Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we're going to learn about God's new and everlasting covenant that Christ has given to the nation of Israel and also to the Gentiles, the nations of the earth. We're going to see the similarities and the nuances of how God has applied this covenant with each person individually and with each nation. You know, I often hear Christians say to me, we're no longer under the law. And I say, that's true. You're a Gentile. You're one of the nations. You were never under the Mosaic law to begin with. That law was given explicitly to Israel. And so here's the question. If the Gentiles have nothing that legally binds them to the old covenant, the old law, then how come they make such a big deal about not being under it at all? Let's read here from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. This is when God made the new covenant with Israel. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Now, Jesus, on the night of the Last Supper, which was actually a Passover Seder, he officiated the new covenant, and it says here in Matthew 26, he said, For this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And he was making this covenant with his disciples, who were all Jewish. And he, and he told them in Matthew 15, he says, I was not sent except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, Paul says in Romans chapter 9, he says, For I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, my brethren. He's saying, I wish I could be separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers and sisters who are Jewish. He says, they're my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. And Paul says, to them, to Israel, pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, which is the priesthood, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. And so Jesus' disciples came to him and they asked him, this is in Acts chapter 1, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And so they understood the promises, just that Paul quoted here in Romans chapter 9, they understood that the promises of the kingdom of God belonged to Israel. They belonged to the Jewish people. Now, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, At that time, you, and he's speaking to the Gentiles, were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so Paul is basically saying here in Ephesians, he says, understand, 
Romans chapter 9, that all of these promises belong to Israel. And so if this new covenant was explicitly called out in Scripture for Israel, and Jesus was only sent to gather the lost sheep of Israel, then where do we find that God has entered into any covenant with the Gentiles, with the nations? Now, I often get questions asked about Jewish identity and Gentile identity, and probably because I'm Jewish, and sometimes there's this question, are we second-class citizens? Are we the Gentiles second-class citizens? And the answer is no, but I want to explore that a little bit more with you. I've also encountered another growing problem. Some Christians have come to me and they said they think that they're now Jews because they have accepted Jesus Christ, Yeshua, who is Jewish, and therefore we're all Jews, and there's no distinction. And they say, oh, there's no distinction between Jew or Gentile. We're all one in Christ. That's true, but we're going to come back to that in a little bit. And there's also a small minority of Gentile Christians who are deciding to keep the law of Moses, which is creating another problem, another form of division within the body of Christ. And there's another problem here that Paul says, and he speaks about in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. He says, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Now, I don't think that these Christians are trying to fall from grace, and I don't think that they're trying to earn their salvation under the law of Moses. I know that they're saved by grace, but they believe that the law was never done away with, and therefore, we are all obligated to follow the law of Moses. And that's probably something we're going to have to pick up in another teaching. Now, I, I grew up in Israel as an Orthodox Jew. I went to an Orthodox school and then to a yeshiva for two years. But after I came to the Lord, after I accepted Christ as my Savior, he spent several years removing me from this legalism of the Mosaic Law. And there is a sense of legalism that comes about trying to fulfill every jot and tittle of the law. It's, it gets pretty complicated. So let me just say this. We're all under God's grace. None of us are under the law of Moses as a means of salvation. And yet we also know that God's grace is not a license to sin. And Paul talks about that as well. And so we should also understand that our salvation is secure through Christ's work, his finished work on the cross, which means that we've been cleansed from our sin, not just covered like it was under the old covenant, the animal sacrifices, but we have been cleansed, purified, and sanctified for eternal life in Christ. And so here's this question coming back to what I said earlier. Isn't God's law, the Mosaic law, eternally binding on the Jewish people? For example, the law of circumcision. It says in 2 Kings uh, chapter 17, it says, And the statutes, the ordinances, the law, and the commandment which he wrote for you, which God wrote for us through Moses, you shall be careful to observe forever, you shall not fear other gods. So the answer is yes. But we're going to pick that up in another teaching because there is a fulfillment of the law, not as a means of salvation, but as a foundation for the kingdom of God that God is going to bring forth through the nation of Israel in his appointed time. And we're going to come back and learn about that at another teaching. So why is there all this confusion surrounding the old covenant and the law of Moses? Well, I think it comes 
from an improper understanding of New Covenant terminology. And here's what I mean by that. Christ is the everlasting covenant. In John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, he says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Now, because of the whole of creation was made actually through Christ, then therefore all of humanity is born with what's called the natural law of Christ on our hearts. We know that God made us, male and female, created in his image. And so we are made in the image of God. And since all things were made through Christ, therefore we were actually made in the image of Christ. That's the natural law. Now to Israel, God further gave his written law, which is called the Torah, the instruction, which not only has the Ten Commandments, but actually has 603 other laws, written laws, that God gave to the nation of Israel. Now, some of these laws pertain to the temple sacrifices and the ordinances of the temple. Many of these laws were civil laws of how we were to set up our court systems and conduct, uh, essentially build the foundation for the nation of Israel and how we were to conduct ourselves as a holy nation, as a people of God. But here is the problem with both the written law and the natural law. We have all been born also with this sinful and rebellious nature that we inherited from, from Adam. And therefore, the Bible says that we have all fallen short of God's perfection. We've fallen short of his natural law. And Israel, which was, who was given the written law, also fell short of the written law. In other words, we couldn't keep it. We, we couldn't keep the natural law that we, is in our hearts that God created us with, and we could not keep the written law that was given to Israel. And so the Lord says here in Isaiah chapter 24, he says, the earth is also defiled under its inhabitants. He's speaking of the whole world because they, all the nations, have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. In other words, all the nations have fallen short of God's glory. They have broken the natural law that was written in our hearts when God created us, and we, given to Israel, also have broken the written law which God gave to the Jewish people. So in Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, Paul actually talks about this. And he says, For as many as have sinned without the law, they will also, also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law, they will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And then Paul goes on to say, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, he's talking about the written law, the Torah, but by nature do the things in the law. In other words, by nature do what God put in their heart, although not having the law, the written law, are in a, then therefore a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. And then the Lord goes on to talk about how, and this is Isaiah chapter 61, he says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offerings. I will direct their work in truth, and I will make them, and he's talking about Israel, an everlasting covenant. And he says, Their descendants shall be known amongst the Gentiles, amongst the nations, and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. And then 
going back a few chapters in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 5, the Lord actually speaks of this everlasting covenant to the nations. And he says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine, milk, without money and without price. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And he's talking now about salvation. He says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I've given him, who is Christ, as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know. And so he is clearly speaking about the Gentile nations. And then he goes on to say, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And so let's go back and understand what is going on here. And so when we look at the Old Covenant, which is the contract, it was a provisional contract that God made with Israel. He said, he, he gave them the law of Moses. He says, if you do these things, you'll, you will be blessed. If you don't do these things, you will be cursed. The Gentiles were actually excluded from that covenant. In fact, God even forbade them from even intermarrying with or connecting, joining themselves with those Gentile nations that surrounded Israel. And so therefore, the Gentiles were excluded from the promises of the old covenant that was given through Moses. But here now, the Lord is saying to, actually to everyone, he's saying, Israel, you broke my covenant, which is the, the law of Moses, you broke it. And then he's also saying to the Gentiles, you broke my unwritten law that I had put in your hearts when I created you. And so all have fallen short of the glory of God. But now the Lord is saying to, to all, to all flesh, he's saying, come and buy what is promised to Israel without any cost, meaning come and receive freely the gift of salvation, which was promised to Israel, but I have opened the doors to all the nations of the earth. And it's the everlasting covenant, which is Christ. And it's the same equal covenant that was promised through Abraham to both the Jew and the Gentile. In Genesis chapter 17, the Lord said, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, Abraham, and you shall be a father of many nations. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. And Christ is the mediator of this new and everlasting covenant. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, Even so through one man's, Christ's, righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And then he goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 3 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, sharers of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. And that's why we see there is full equality, because the covenant with the Gentiles does not have to be administered through the nation of Israel. And nor does it make the Jewish people intermediaries to God's covenant with the Gentiles. You see, God has established his everlasting covenant independently with each person, with each nation. And this is God's sovereign work of salvation amongst the Gentiles. And again, for this reason, there is full equality between Jew and Gentile. 
the Gentiles are not required to become Jewish to enter this new covenant. And the Jews don't relinquish their unique identity either. We each have been uniquely created in the image of Christ. And yet, we are one people of God, comprised of every tongue and tribe and nation and people on the face of the earth, created to worship God with the diversity of the cultures and languages and ethnicities that he has given to each of us. In Isaiah chapter 28, the Lord says, Your covenant with death will be annulled. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 8, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so we're talking about freedom from breaking the natural law that we have all broken that was on our hearts. And also now for Israel, freedom from the written law, which we could not keep, which we have also broken, which led to our judgment under the law, which also brought death. So Christ is this mediator of the new everlasting covenant to both the Jew and the Gentile. And so to the Jews, we are under the new everlasting covenant with the emphasis on new, and we are free from the condemnation and judgment of the old covenant, the written law. And to the Gentiles, the nations, he says, you are under the new everlasting covenant, emphasis on everlasting, and you are free from the condemnation of the natural, unwritten law of sin and death. And so where has been the confusion in the church regarding the Old and the New Covenants? I think it has to do with somehow believing that the Gentiles are under the New Covenant as a dispensational replacement for the Old, and that's called supersessionism or replacement theology. They believe, in other words, that the church is the replacement for Israel, that the Gentiles now are trying to find their identity in Christ, either one exclusively through a Jewish lens, in other words, trying to become Jewish, and some have, some have converted to Judaism and become proselytes, or exclusively through a Gentile lens, in other words, trying to completely separate from the biblical foundation of Christianity, which is found in the Hebraic Bible or in biblical Judaism. But the church is not comprised of just the nation of Israel. The church is Israel plus the Gentile nations that have been joined to her. And Paul refers to this as the commonwealth of Israel. And Paul uses the analogy of a cultivated olive tree to illustrate this great mystery. The tree is comprised of natural branches, who are Israelites, and wild ones, the Gentiles, who have been grafted into this tree contrary to nature. The trunk of the tree is Christ. The root are the fathers, the foundation of the church that connect both Jew and Gentile to Abraham, who is the father of many nations. In Galatians chapter 3, it says again, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 4, therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, which of course is Israel, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And then he wraps this up in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, by saying, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So now you can see, hopefully you can see, why there is full equality between Jew and Gentile. The reason, again, is that God has sovereignly established his everlasting covenant with each person, 
regardless of their nationality or ethnicity. Paul says in Galatians, again, chapter 3, verse 28, he says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul wasn't saying that we lose our identity in Christ. He wasn't saying that men and women, for example, lose their identity in Christ. He was actually declaring that in Christ we will discover our true identity. And again, this is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. And this promise brings all the nations together with Israel as one new man and one people of God, and yet comprised of every tongue and tribe and nation on the face of the earth. This is the church. It's also the, called the ecclesia in Greek, or in Hebrew is the kahal. So, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom, only equal sons and daughters of God. I'm going to close here with John chapter 17. This is Jesus' prayer for the unity of the church, really the uniting of his people of every tongue and tribe to come together, all flesh to come together as one people. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.